millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're about to hear an episode from Kung Gusto Mo Nang Pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series. It's a podcast where changemakers across generations discuss how we can keep pounding the rock. If you enjoy it, share it with a friend and follow Kung Gusto Mo Nang Pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series, on your podcast app. Pound the Rock is the story of the stonecutter. The lowly person, he goes to the mountain every day and pounds the rock to make the stone. Pounds it one time, ten times, a hundred times. The rock does not break, but he has perseverance and he has hope. In fact, it's not just so, it's confidence. He knows that the rock will break. Was it the last strike that made the stone? The answer is no. Every single strike, every moment, whether in times of victory or frustration, what we do every day will make the difference. Chito Gascon dedicated his life to defending democracy and human rights. Although many people know him as the late chairperson of the Commission on Human Rights of the Philippines, it's worth remembering that he started his career as a student leader, as a youth organizer. He had a strong and abiding faith in the power of the youth and, as you heard earlier, in the inevitability of change and reform. It's in that spirit that organizations have come together to create this podcast. Asia Society Philippines, Puma Podcast, and Bukas Conversations for Action. You're listening to Kung Gusto Mo ng Pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series. Ako po si Robbie Alampay. In each episode, you will hear from an experienced changemaker, somebody from the older generation, somebody who has led the way for their times. You will then also hear from a panel of young reform advocates who will discuss the challenges we face today and how they face those challenges. In this first episode, our guest, like Mr. Gascon, has had experience in activism and advocating for change. He is the Metro Manila Coordinator for FLAG, that's the Free Legal Assistance Group, which is the oldest human rights lawyers network in the Philippines. I, myself, I met him when I was a young reporter. At that time, I was profiling him as the lawyer for the man who became the first Filipino to be executed upon the return of capital punishment in the Philippines. Let's hear from Attorney Tedde. Maraming salamat, Robbie. And uh, I do remember that interview. I still have a copy, a hard copy of that particular interview. I still remember uh, where we were when you interviewed me there in my very small cubicle in that office along Timor Avenue. 
And yes, Ted, I remember, I know you call yourself a promdi, educated by Jesuits in Cagayan de Oro, that's the bailiwick of the late Senator Nene Pimentel, who was a fierce critic of the Marcos dictatorship. You knew early on about food blockades, hamleting in Bukidnon. You would enter UP Diliman, already in effect an activist. Then after that, you entered law school, but it was I would imagine a confusing place to be, particularly in those times when, what, you'd have to study laws that were passed by a dictator, essentially. My activist background almost led me to quit law school because I found it almost impossible to reconcile my desire to change the world, or at least the system, with laws that help to perpetuate that very system. But later on, I would discover a perspective, a view of law that showed me that in order to change the law, I needed to learn the law and to master it. And that genuine change comes from within the ranks of those who are affected by it. And that in order to push for real, meaningful change, often I would also need to change first. Change how I view the law, the role of lawyers, the roles of law and society. Change how I would practice the law how it would work towards changing the law, the legal system, and ultimately society and the world. And perhaps in a very subtle way, that was how I saw and learned the distinction between what being an activist and what being an advocate is. A dictionary meaning would tell you that an advocate is one who supports a cause or a proposal. An activist is one who emphasizes direct action towards a particular view or a particular side. But operationally, you know, uh, we would see an activist as, as a person who speaks a lot. And an advocate is one who listens a lot. Perhaps operationally, activists incite change. Advocates ensure that the change that is incited would be sustainable and realizable. You know, both are equally important because, you know, the movement for change over the years has been born on the shoulders of many activists and activist groups. But also meaningful, progressive, and relevant changes over the years has also been born. The negotiations, dialogues, consensus building of advocates. When we first met, I was a reporter. We were covering the return of capital punishment. You were the lawyer for the first man who was about to be executed. When you were handling the case of Leo Echegaray, what did that teach you? about activism and advocacy? That activism, while important, you know, has its limits. That at a certain point, shouting outside the establishment can only work if people inside are willing to listen. That advocacy becomes essential when you're already inside the room and the person who is supposed to change things is already there about to listen. I learned that, yes, it is important to be an activist, to move, to prevent a law that is being passed, taking on the death penalty and preventing the law from being passed. But once the law was passed and the law was being implemented, it became important to channel my energies towards ensuring that people who are in a position to change the law would be able to change the law. So they complement each other, activism and advocacy. So we can somehow, at the back of our minds, we know the difference, but they complement each other. Activism and advocacy, but both are about putting in the work. Now, speaking of putting in the work, let's introduce our next guest, one of our young changemakers, Ted. Rose Tugade is a lawyer like you. In fact, she had the privilege of working both with you and also with Chito Gascon. 
She was formerly with the Commission on Human Rights. She's had experience in documenting, monitoring, um, analyzing large-scale human rights violations in the Philippines. Now, Ross, listening to Ted and knowing the things that you want to advocate for, what have you picked up? Kung gusto mo ng pagbabago, what, what are some questions still on your mind? Siguro what I, what I want to engage is the point of how do we talk with other people with not just the utmost humility but also bringing in what we know to the table. Because I found that has to be a delicate balance, especially for young people like me, no? trying to communicate the fact that we have also some experience and some insight owing to the fact that we're more exposed to certain technologies, new developments in certain fields of knowledge. And sometimes I find myself contending with the challenge of how do we effectively communicate this, especially with you know the older generation. Uh, sometimes I find myself lacking the confidence to to assert, mm. you not know, assert the fact na kaya ko namang i-discuss tong certain point na to. And I think my ideas have some weight to them. And sometimes, guru na unahan ng hiya. Pero sa tingin ko, uh, in my experience, and, and I saw that through me working with experienced lawyers in important matters, na if I want to assert uh, certain ideas that I think would contribute to change being triggered in a particular field or in a particular topic, ayun, kailangan talagang lakasan yung loob at maniwala dun sa capacity mo to mm. trigger a conversation. Let me phrase that to, to Ted. Ted, do you have that experience? I mean, is that a universal and perennial truth that when the youth want to engage, there is an obstacle of at least, well, if not an obstacle, at least there is something to be bridged between generations first? Yes, actually, I experienced that myself. I find it a little strange now that sometimes I'm on the receiving end. I no? realize that I'm the one who's dying. That's why I'm Laging sugod lang ng sugod. Ito yung gusto eh. Ito yung tama eh. So, how do you bridge that? I've learned that comes from developing a relationship. No? Mas madali kasi yung tanggapin ng you know, someone who's on the older side. No? Someone who thinks, for example, that she or he remains to be the, the sage, no? the, the guru in terms of everything in relation to that topic. Later on, makikita doon sa relationship na yun na, okay, may konting, may konting tiwala na ito doon sa gagawin ko o sinasabi ko. Uh, may konting respeto siya dun sa opinion ko. No? So, when I was working as a very young lawyer, my, my senior partner, the partner whose name belong on the firm name, no? matigas din ang ulo niya. No? Nagbabanggaan kami. I would insist na, ito yun. Sir, ito yung pinakabagong case. Kasi, hindi. Kasi ganito yan eh. Dapat ganito yan. So, pag nag-umpisa na siya na, eh, Ted, kasi ganito yan. Tatahimik na ako. Alam ko kasi walang kwentang banggain siya dun eh. So, I would just let him talk. Then later on, I would say, Pero sir, okay ba na I, I send you something in writing? Okay lang babasahin nyo. Then, kung ayaw nyo pa rin, then let me know. Then later on, babalik siya. Medyo kalma na siya. Nakita nga na siya. No, yung ganun. So, there's a, there's a way around that. But I know that it is a struggle, particularly in the academic, where the traditions, no, the hierarchy, is the seniority is everything. No? Okay, you spoke about the academic, Ted. I'll use that as as uh, occasion to get a young academic in trouble here. Our next guest is Mayan Vital. She's an economist and one of the founders of Usapang Econ. 
They've done really wonderful work through podcasting, videos, and of course, articles, their own website, their own blog, to make economics more accessible to ordinary Filipinos. Mayan, we're not just talking about human rights, but change in general. Why did you start Usapang Econ? What was the need and what is your advocacy for it? Let me first connect or try to pick up a point that I got from Ted when he was um, you know, relaying his, his journey. You know, some people just have that innate ability or innate knowledge of what changes they want to, to make in the society. And we noticed, our group noticed that there are only a few voices that usually, you know, surface and do these things or try to enact change or enforce change. And then what we realized is that because information is really lacking, so a lot of people don't know what's happening. So that's actually the very point of Usapang Econ. We want to educate more people so that they can be engaged and then they know what sort of issues they want to be engaged in and what sort of changes they can do. But each of us can do our, mm. our own little ways. We can do little changes together. Our point is that economics is very technical. With Usapang Econ, we're bringing these jargons down to a level where people can really understand so that they are knowledgeable about these issues. Now, I want to bring in Ken Abante of We Solve. Basically, they harness people from different sectors to solve systemic problems in the Philippines. They also use technology as leverage for that change. Everything from public health to mobility is part of what they're trying to solve. This reminds me, as a related aside, when Ted and I were younger, the whole milieu was defined by martial law. Uh, and so all advocacy was all geared towards that, martial law, rule of law, human rights, democracy, freedom, and so on. Back then, the organizations were basically founded on problems, <laughs> karapatan, task force detainees, and so on. But now, Ken, the name of your group is We Solve. It, it, for me, it, I think generationally, it seems to suggest a change in mindset. Your name is anchored precisely on the attitude na we will give solutions. Do you think that generationally there's a different attitude today among activists and advocates? Actually po, most of my mentors are also from the older generation who have taught me this attitude as well, this unwavering faith in the power of collective action. And when we say we solve, we don't mean we're going to parachute into your domain uh, and into your village and say what your solutions will be. It's not just problem solvers, but most, most importantly, including problem owners in the process of making collective solutions. So yun po, I think that's the philosophy with which We Solve was, uh, was born. I grew up in Naga. I also knew how uh, Mayor Jesse Robredo ran Naga and I saw how Naga improved. Uh, namulat po ako doon sa kakayanan at uh, posibilidad na pwede palang maging ganito yung politika. Pwede palang maging ganito yung uh, gobyerno natin uh, kapag maayos yung pamamahala at nakikilahok yung mga tao at mga mamamayan sa pag-gobyerno, magiging mas okay. Uh, kahit na mahirap yung proseso, mas magiging maayos yung pamamalakad. Even when I was in, in college, uh, the, the mentors that I saw were sinakarene ng mga sumilaw farmers no, na nagmarcha 
uh, mula Sumilaw, Bukid Non, hanggang Batasan para ipaglaban ang Comprehensive Agrarian Reform Program Extension with Reform Law. Uh, nung pumunta naman po ako ng uh, Department of Finance, uh, nakita ko po yun sa mga, uh, sa mga advocates no, ng Syntax Coalition who were able to change our tax laws that for a long time protected industry lobbies, uh, very powerful tobacco and alcohol lobbies. And uh, I was at awe at the power of this collective movement to push for change, even things that they found impossible to solve. And because of that, it increased taxes on tobacco and alcohol to fund universal health care, managed to increase health insurance from 30% to 90%, managed to decrease smoking incidents from a third to 20%. Um, and these are massive changes that in my mind, wow, ito pala yung kapangyarihan kapag magsama-sama at tulong-tulong yung mga taong ipaglaban yung isang uh, advokasya. Kaya dyan po, I think, inspired uh, yung, yung, yung philosophy namin sa WeSolve. Uh, and just to go back to the question, I learned all of this from, from my mentors who were also seasoned in uh, civil society organizing uh, and have pushed for these fights uh, much longer than I have. Yeah, but uh, Ross, uh, Maya, and Ken, has there been anything uh, that has kept you up at night or even just for a brief moment made you think, parang made you realize, wow, that's progress? Ito mong grupong na-form nung nangyari yung pandemia. Uh, it was May 2020. Uh, and uh, I think at that point, there was a massive public transport crisis. Government uh, basically said, you know, public transport will not be allowed. Uh, and uh, I think at that point, there had been movements that were forming around commuters' rights. No? Uh, but in some mysterious fashion, all of these advocates and activists uh, and uh, commuter groups and labor unions and rights advocates and even faith-based groups came together to form uh, You Move As One Coalition, which is a coalition which we support in WeSolve. It pushes for safer, more humane, and more inclusive public transport. And since... Since the formation of the group in 2020, we were able to push for, you know, 12.85 billion pesos worth of uh, investments in public transport and active transport, like walking, cycling, uh, better service contracting for transport workers. And uh, just in the previous budget cycle for the 2022 budget, uh, we were able to push for an even higher budget, 13.3 billion this year. Uh, whereas before, actually, literal po na, uh, just 1% of the budget since 2010. 1% of the mm. 2.8 trillion budget was used for these uh, engagements. Mm. And now, I refer to it as a miracle, actually. Uh, a yeah. miracle of engaged citizenship. A good crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And certainly the pandemic and the need to keep the blood flowing through the economy was proof of that. Uh, but, and I think it's, it's part of what, you know, partially solves that mystery how did people let down their guards and bring down the barriers and just in good faith jump in with with everybody to cooperate but what about you ross and and mayan are there things that make you want to discuss oh how how did that happen for me it's uh the swiftness and the urgency by which uh we have tried to uh, take into account and to bring to justice the perpetrators of the present human crisis in the Philippines. And of course, I'm talking about uh, the drug war. No? But for me, the, the greatest miracle in, in uh, all my experience with uh, families of the victims, the institutions, and the different advocates 
trying to uh, bring the perpetrators to justice and to make them accountable is this unwavering commitment despite the risk, uh, despite the threats to their own personal security, that these people who have been responsible for many, many needless deaths of people who did not certainly deserve to die are keeping the faith and trying to, you know, against all odds, bring the perpetrators to justice. Uh, in my brief interactions, conversations with them, I've found myself always in awe of the commitment to, to that very primordial notion of justice na may nagkasala, kailangan managot, pero yung pananagutan is not through vengeance, but through a process that respects human dignity. Mayan, let me let me recast this a bit specifically for you because Usapang Econ is particularly involved in a social challenge, a social problem that really is unique and really is being, honestly, being born in your generation. This task of really fighting not just fake news, but really uh, revisionist history when it comes to the Marcos years, martial law, <clears throat> and particularly the economic impact and, and reverberations that has had uh, to this day. But how does that feel as an advocate to suddenly have an activist role here? And how daunting uh, is it? So actually, you read my mind, Roby. I was about to ask you if mine can be negative like something that keeps me up, and that's really disinformation. So I'm just going to look back in one of our podcasts where we invited a researcher who's done research on disinformation and has actually gone into the ground of how big the troll industry is in the Philippines. But let's face it, you know, online media is something that a lot of us rely on when it comes to information. And I'm sure you've watched it. There's also these documentaries on uh, Cambridge Analytica and how they take advantage of social media to influence people and use that information para isway or para reinforcing biases. So uh, having, you know, learned all that, Usapang Econ is in a good position to try to right some of these wrongs. Of course, you know, we're not an expert on many things. We can only touch upon, you know, economic concepts or at least discourses that relate to economics. And we've done that in our podcast on martial law. So we've tried to present evidence on the contrary of what they're saying that, okay, martial law was the golden era. You know, everything was great. The economy was at its highest. There's so much equality. Nobody's poor. But then in our podcast, we were able to dissect all these misconceptions about martial law that, no, that's not the case. Because, you know, if you look at the actual data, you know, we weren't leading the pack mm. in even in ASEAN. And in fact, what happened was after martial law, it resulted in decades after lost opportunities kasi nagdip talaga yung yung economic growth natin nagdip yung per capita incomes natin such that um naglag tayo behind other countries so in usapang econ having that space to um inform people about you know these misconceptions and what's really happening probably helps a lot of people when it comes to making their own decisions about what they should be looking for in, in terms of governance. And second is that 
of course, we also want to to inform people na you have to take things with a grain of salt. Na just because people say na ganito, it doesn't mean it's true. So just by juxtaposing the gossip and the actual evidence would probably mm. convince people na maybe everything is not what they see. So let me take the, the problem that Mayan uh, proposed and throw that back to the people who would be confronting this for the rest of your lives. Diba? What do you do? Um, nung panahon namin ni Ted, at least, actually now, to think about it, it was easier to fight monolith, monolithic media. You boycott them, it breaks their uh, business model, it hurts their political patrons. But now, how do you solve a problem like social media and, and, and the disinformation? And Because Mayan, diba, parang, we just have to juxtapose everything. But all the studies uh, show, including the guys who did the research that you you interviewed in your podcast, also say that facts don't work. So, I know, honest question here, baliktad naman, from an older generation to you, ano plano nyo dito? What a tough question, sir. I wanted to preface my, my answer by sharing an experience also I had with uh, the late Chito Gascon. Uh, because when we were building the Marshall Museum in 2017, he was the one actually who introduced us to the Human Rights Victims Claims Board. Uh, and when we were consulting for how to build the Marshall Museum in 2017, we also consulted with the late Secretary Mon Jimenez uh, about how do you inoculate people from this type of disinformation. And prescient na siya, di ba? Vaccination na kagad yung, <laughs> yung terminology na ginagamit ni uh, Sec Monjay nung time na yun. And he was saying also the same thing. Uh, facts are not enough. In his strategy somewhere, sinasabi niya, there's a certain point where you don't even need to name the word Marcos. Start with the first principles of why is it important to have uh, to have democracy? Kasi nakakasagasa yung pagiging diktador. Uh, and and uh, he, was, he, was, he was saying that, so that was the first insight that I got. Parang it was so important to go back to the first principles about why it's important to not have a dictatorship and you don't have to talk about Marcos directly for people to understand those first principles. Uh, the second thing, one wonderful student leader who we were consulting about this uh, mentioned how it was so important to not view people as votes, but view people as people. Uh, at yung tiwala, yung tiwala, parang babalik medyo... To a certain extent, parang babalik ulit sa first principles. It's what uh, Ted mentioned a while ago, yung, yung trust, yung relationship sa mga tao. Uh, and, and perhaps what's making this much worse and what's making it harder to inoculate people from this type of disinformation is we probably lost touch with our grassroots communities. Baka dapat bumalik tayo dun sa mga relationship ng tiwala at babalik ka dun sa barangay, babalik ka sa pamilya mo, babalik ka sa mas first principles ng organizing which mm. is to focus on people's relationship and trust uh, and mm. not people's votes. You don't talk to people to convert them to vote a particular candidate. You talk to them because you care. Mm. Uh, sila, um, first and foremost. There's a lot of hope there. But Ted, let me just be honest with you. It sounds so tiring. Speaking of what Chita was referring to us in moments of victory and moments of frustration, you strike that rock. I guess my question to you, Ted, and this is by way of starting to bring us back to our lessons here. You've been an activist and advocate for 30 years. You've had moments of victory. You've had moments of frustration. 
But when you take the, all that in and then you realize that, oh, nga, no, shit, 30, 30 plus years na. What's your take? What's your perspective on time? Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you, Rob. It, it can get really tiring. And there are really days when it's all you can do to, you know, get up and, you know, go to go to work. But on, on the other hand, there are days as well where you can't, you know, you... You can't get up early enough because you know that you know American can go in. So I think it's a matter of balancing those two and finding a way to continually motivate yourself, you know, and others, you know, maybe of our generation. Because I know that many from our generation would tend to take the easier track na lang and say, "Alam mo, marami na kami nagawa eh. Kayo na naman or kayo na muna. Pahinga na muna kami." No, pero I'd like to believe that meron pa rin namang magagawa dahil marami pang kailangan gawin. No? Meron pang magagawa dahil marami pang kailangan gawin. Just like the parable of the stone cutter, diba, Ted? one of Cheetos' favorite things to share, and which we heard at the start of this episode. Kung gusto mo ng pagbabago, you have to have the stone cutter's faith. That's what Cheeto always said. That you just have to keep pounding on that rock, knowing having faith that one day it will break. Ted, as we close this first episode, maybe you could leave us with some some thought, some reflection, some inspiration as we continue to be activists and advocates, both in time of victory as well as in times of frustration. My most indelible memory of Chito Gascon was of this uh, bearded tisoy with huge glasses and an amazing fluency in Filipino who would always end the national anthem with a raised clenched fist. In my last year of college, he was running for chair of the UP Student Council, which he eventually became, leading his party to a near sweep of the seats that year. That year, of course, was also the year that led to civil disobedience, called by Cory, the Friday Yellow Confetti Rallies of Ayala. And Chito was at the forefront of that. He, of course, would later on become a member of the 1986 Constitutional Commission. Later, I would meet up with him again at the College of Law when he became a student, when he enjoyed possibly the, the, the strange distinction of possibly being the only law student to have written the Constitution he was studying <laughs> in first year. In the course of our professional lives, Chito and I would have many opportunities to meet up and work together. The last of which would be a manual for human rights investigation for CHR investigators. He and I would meet many times, and during those encounters, you know, I would listen to Chito, this, this firebrand activist of his Nagkaisang Tugon days, leading rallies of students, and I would listen to him, and he would, you know, his, his passion would not be diminished. But I could see that his passion would, was already being channeled into a more productive uh, avenue. His advocacy for, for rights promotion, his advocacy for education, his advocacy for sustainable reforms in, in human rights protection. That was what he was very passionate about now. That, I think, was what led him to become a, a really good leader, one of the possibly the best chairs of the CHR we've ever had. And so I think he is one of the best examples of a person who can both be an activist and an advocate and be good in both roles. Limang bagay lang, no? The first is choose to take part, right? It's a personal decision. 
And because it is a personal decision, it should come with a conviction of what you believe in and what you put your your faith in. The second would be hear, decide, and act. The third would be to incite, incite ideas, inspire many, educate more, and move those ideas to realities. The fourth would be to teach and to train. And that's one thing that I saw Sito being very passionate about, mentoring his young staff at the CHR, ensuring that the systems and the structures he put in place in CHR would continue beyond his lifetime. And the last would be, oh, open your mind, learn continuously. Chito was that way, he was curious. He had a lot of ideas, he already, he was a brilliant guy, had a huge intellect, but he was always open. Our mind should always be open to learn more, to adapt to the situation, and to change, even as we ourselves move for change. No, lang. Choose to take part here, insight, inspire, teach and train, open our minds. So, kung gusto mo ng pagbabago, madaling tandaan, CHITO. And that was the first episode of Kung Gusto Mo ng Pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series, a podcast by Asia Society Philippines, Puma Podcast, and Bukas Conversations for Action. If you want to hear the full conversation, go to Asia Society Philippines on Facebook. Muli po, ako po si Robbie Alampay. Thank you again to our guests, Attorney Ted Te, Ross Tugade, Ken Abante, and Mayan Vital. This episode was written by Trisha Aquino. It was edited by Mark Casillian. With additional support from Siege Tantenko, Caitlin Magtoto, and Ella Robles. Now, if you like what you listened to, Share this podcast with a friend whom you think will appreciate the conversation as well. Kung gusto mo ng pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series. We are of course grateful to the family of Mr. Gascon for allowing us to use his name and image and to honor and celebrate all that he stood for. Thank you also to Wise Owl for letting us use that clip of Chito Gascon at an event of that group of seasoned activists and advocates, Samasa. For conversations on how we can use communication to create social change, listen to the podcast we have made with Wise Owl. That's Give a Hoot, which is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.